prisoners on death row that he he wrote this hymn. He saw himself as deserving death row for his sin against God, and he saw Jesus Christ as his pardon. And can it be that I should think? <clears throat>
chapter 13. No condemnation now I dread. I am my Lord's and he is mine. Amen. That sounds like Romans chapter 8, doesn't it? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 213. The light of the world is Jesus. Let's see verses 1, 2, and 4. 1, 2, and 4. change and tonight another aspect about change real change real help real change real help is the topic or the title at least and so real change can happen I have nine things maybe ten things I have ten things to give you tonight about real change now the first thing is the most important one sometimes we start with the not so important working our way down to a climax, the most important one, but the most important one is the beginning one. Number one, real change, real change. This is about real change in a person's life, real change in a person, an individual. And if you think about this in life, a lot of folk today could use a good change. 
And so real change can happen when the Lord is involved. This is a very simple lesson. But real change can happen when the Lord is involved. Come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We always want to go back to what the Bible says about change. And real change happens when someone comes to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. And we greet those of you watching by video. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5, 17. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So there's a real personal spiritual change that has taken place. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the real possibility of change gives hope. The real possibility of change gives a real positive outlook on a bad situation, a person who needs some change in his life. We assume people can change because God can change a person. We assume people can change because God can change a person. And according to this verse, if a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. A new creature means he is different. A new creature means before God, his standing, his position, how God sees a sinner when he is saved, he accepted Christ as his Savior. That sinner before God is now brand new. He is clean. He is sinless in God's sight. And he is a new creature in Christ. The secret is being in Christ. So real change can happen when the Lord is involved. When a person receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, then God changes him from the inside out. And so there's a man in Beaumont, Texas, didn't no longer live there. They have moved. But he was a friend of Pete. He is a friend of Pete. And Pete and Emily were praying for him for a little while, several years actually. And uh, the wife and uh, this friend of Pete's, uh, we met them, my wife and met them about three years ago. And they were having some marital problems. And it got so bad that uh, she was talking about divorcing him. And she actually got papers to divorce him. But uh, Pete and Emily and others kept praying for this friend of his. And uh, lo and behold, uh, a miracle took place. The man's life changed because he got saved. And after he got saved, it was like he saw things as they really were. He saw clearly his, his wrong thinking, his foolishness. And then they worked things out. And over a period of time, they got back together again. And now, on this day, I can tell you, as a matter of fact, knowing these people uh, from a distance, but somewhat personally, Pete knows them, of course, a lot better. And um, they, they're, they're together, they're happy, the family's intact, and God changed them. So when the Lord is involved, real change can take place. And uh, Pete was so happy that he initiated contact with him, and the man was, was open because he didn't know how to change. He wanted to change, but he was stuck. He didn't know what to do. And so Pete gave him scriptural advice and turned him to the Lord, and uh, the man changed. And so when he got saved, when people get saved, real change can happen when the Lord gets involved. That's the first thing. That's the first step. That's the first real possibility of change. It's the first hopeful, real hope that people have that they can change. Uh, in Mark chapter 5, verse number 15, there's a great story about a man who was a demoniac possessed by devils and living in a graveyard. And he's howling at night. He's acting like a wild animal. And uh, nobody could chain him. Nobody could tie him. He is supernaturally powerful. And this man, when he came to Christ, the Lord saved him. The Bible says in Mark 5, 15, he was sitting and he was clothed in his right mind. Yeah. That man really changed even though nobody could change him. 
And this story is repeated often in prisons and around the world and even in America, probably in this state too, where people come to Christ, they could not change them. Nobody could change them. Parents couldn't change this rotten, miserable kid, uh, teenager, rebellious, or young person, or whatever the situation could be. Nobody could change that person, just like nobody could change this demoniac in the Gadarenes until the Lord came by and saved him. And so the first real point and the most important thing is if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. Now it says in that scripture, verse number 70, all things are become new. Become new. This is saying there is a progression, there is a process, there's a daily living where the Holy Spirit, the Bible of Christ changes a person uh, from the inside. And so this is the growth, this is the progress of a Christian, this is his walk. And a, a person really changes when he comes to Christ. That's the first thing. If anybody wants to change, if you want someone to change, they must first know Christ as Savior. That's the first thing. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 13, uh, the Bible tells us this. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. And so the Lord gives strength day by day. The Lord gives help day by day. This is in the progress the progress of a Christian's life and walk with Christ, the Lord helps them every day. And that is where real change, real help comes from. Number two, the second thing, the second truth about how to change, there's 10 of them. Uh, I couldn't find 10 of them, but the second real change can happen when God's people share their experiences with people who have problems. When God's people share their experiences, number one, the Lord is involved, real change can happen. Otherwise, it is just a matter of uh, sweat and tears and perhaps failure in the end without God's help. And so the second way I see how people can be helped and how they can change is when Christians, God's people, share their experiences as to how God helped them and they passed on to others. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, verse 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Now the verses are talking about how God helps a believer, one of his children, and encourages him and sees him through, but also how he uh, gets real close to the Christian and how the Lord has been able to strengthen that Christian and as um, as a Christian experiences that He says oh the Lord really helped me with that And if there's a testament to be given he probably gives a testimony and says well I was really struggling with ABCD and I really was feeling down and uh, people are praying for me But then uh, the Lord really helped me through this and so he gave me strength And so when you pass on to someone else with the same kind of problem That person gets encouraged that person Changes from feeling hopeless, from feeling like, oh, I can never get out of this, this doldrum, this downward tailspin that I'm in. But hearing you tell me this, I see that there is hope. I see that God can help me Amen. change my negative attitude to something hopeful. And it's really real and helpful when people hear from someone's own mouth how God helped them. And it's much better than reading a book, although that's helpful. Much better than hearing or watching a video, that's helpful. 
But to hear someone say face-to-face -to, -face to someone, close up, one-on-one, -on -one, that this is what the Lord helped me with. I, I, I can understand what you're going through. I know what it's like because I was going through that too. And the Lord helped me through that. Really? Well, how did he do that? Well, here's how the Lord helped me through that. And that's very encouraging. That's very strengthening. And it helps people to have hope that they can change from a really down time in their life. Mm -hmm. And God can help them as he has helped you. And so our experiences are not in vain. Our ups and our downs usually are downs. Usually are feeling um, despondent, feeling discouraged. All of our feelings, and God helps us through them by different means. And that has helped uh, that helps us to help other people. And so it's not in vain. Why did this happen? Not sure. But after a while, you can refer to that experience and God helped you through that. And you can help someone else through that as well. Number three, the third truth as to how people can change from the Bible is this. When you apply God's truth, that's how people can change. When you apply God's truth. So number one, the Lord is involved. He can always help you that way. You can change. And then also, when God's people share their experiences, they help people to be encouraged. You lift them up. That encourages them to change as well. And number three, real change can happen when God's truth is applied. God's truth is applied. Now, I have a string of verses, three of them. I'd like to read them to you. And if you wouldn't mind to write them down so you won't forget them and you can look them up later on. Psalm 90 verse number 12 tells us this so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom the word applies there I'll get to the thought in after these two other verses Proverbs 2 verse number 2 so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding and then the third reference is Proverbs 23 verse number 12 Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. So these three verses have the word apply to them, which is to say, which is to me, it means this, which is to pass on to you, that when you hear what the Bible says, when you know what the Bible says, that is the starting point. The next thing is to do what the Bible says. Apply what the Bible says to your particular situation particular problem, particular thing that someone is tempting, tempted with, particular weakness in his life, then how do I get something? How do I change? How do I have more Christ-likeness in my life? Well, you're going to have to apply what the Bible says, apply what the truth says. Now, uh, Second Peter, look at this one with me. Second Peter chapter 1. Having read three verses about applying God's truth, remember this about the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse number three, this old book, the old black book or the old burgundy book or the old blue book, but the old black book is so applicable to any situation and to any time because Second Peter chapter one, verse number three says this, according as his divine power hath given unto us that pertain unto life, uh, all things, excuse me, I left out all things, the important part, <laughs> According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Many things are in this verse, but one thing that you can take from this verse is that the Bible 
it applies, it pertains to all things in life. Well, that covers a lot of territory. Whatever these things that it pertains to, it means it it's applicable to many situations in life, from children to senior citizens. Whatever the problems, whatever the situations, uh, the Bible is applicable to these situations because this is God's Word. It is a spiritual book. It applies to many, many different personal issues in life. And so through the knowledge of Him. And so real change comes when we apply what the truth of the Bible says. And once again, I want to emphasize, you can know what the Bible says. You can know what to do. But unless you execute, unless you carry out, unless you follow through, unless you do what it says, you will not benefit from it. Now, I will say this, and I hope you understand the context of this. You don't have to be a Christian to benefit from what the Bible says. If you practice what the Bible says, you benefit from it because this is just the way it works out, especially for a Christian. If you practice what the Bible says, it will help you. And so uh, the third way to have real change, to get real help, is to apply God's truth to situations. Now come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You've heard the saying, in one ear, out the other? That's because people hear the truth, but they don't absorb it, they don't digest it. It doesn't do anything for them because they won't practice it. Well, let's practice what the Bible says. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, did you know, maybe you did know, but did you know that the Old Testament is good for you? Did you know that the Old Testament was written for your learning and for your admonition? And that there's nothing new under the sun? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 6. Now, begin at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 1, down through verse 11. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Uh, sorry, the rock is not a, an apostle. The rock is not an apostle. The rock was Christ. Verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these were, were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lost it, neither be adulterers, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't play, but because you can play sports, you can play, uh, have fun. That's not what they're talking about here. This is a different kind of play. This is bad kind of playing. Verse 8, neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. What is he saying? What is Paul saying to the Corinthian church? He's saying nothing is new under the sun. There's nothing that, has, that we can experience in the Corinthian church that you're experiencing, that you're doing wrong, that has not been done before. The Old Testament is telling us that this is what you do, this is what makes God angry, and now you Corinthians in the New Testament, this is like, this has happened before. 
In other words, the Bible covers all aspects of life. And the Old Testament, if you look at the Old Testament, you look at the Bible, you'll find that it is applicable to any situation. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, there may be different kinds of things that people do today that were not done uh, in the Old Testament or even in the first century. However, there in the Old Testament, Paul says, these are written so that you know some things are wrong. These are written so you know what to do to get right. You can change by knowing what the Old Testament says. Nothing is isolated. Nothing is left by itself. Everything is connected. Everything is tied together. Everything is linked together. And the Old Testament is written for our admonition. Your problems are not new, Corinthian church. And uh, what you need to do is do what the Bible says and do what God says. And you can change. The solutions are discovered in the Bible. Uh, the answers are found in the Bible. And so change comes when the truth is practiced. When the truth is practiced. Now, let's use a simple illustration how things can change when the truth is practiced. Um, let me think here. Something real simple. I like to eat. Don't like those cook. But I've seen people cook on YouTube and how they make omelets and how they do uh, scrambled eggs. I didn't know there's some other ways to make scrambled eggs. Grandma Nancy likes to make them fluffy with the fork. And she, she fluffs it so it's kind of like, 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 like that. But I like mine like that, like McDonald's flat. And so there's a certain thing you gotta do. But to make an omelet a certain way that comes up really good, to fold it just right and put in all these different things in it like ham and cheese and, and onions and bell peppers, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that look good? An omelet, bell pepper, and ham, and all this good stuff. Well, I saw a guy do that, and uh, I said, that looks easy to do. I think I can do that. The temperature, how you can tell if the eggs are cooked, things like that. Well, it was good information, but it didn't do me any good until I began to do what it said. Once I began to practice what this guy said, how to make an omelet, I was so happy, I was so pleased, I benefited from that information because I did something about it. Likewise, if you know what the Bible says, number one. Number two, follow through and do what it says if you hope to change. If you hope to change your character, if you hope to change your spiritual um, uh, growth, you need to know what the Bible says and do what it says. Pretty simple. Yes? Yes. Thank you for agreeing with me. All right. Now, um, after giving you 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 to 11, uh, one more thought about uh, following and doing what the Bible says. Uh, let us say you want to change your temper because your temper is too hot. Let us say you want to change your suspicious mind. Let us say you want to change uh, resentment or envy or jealousy or things like that. Personal heart things. Let's say you have been struggling with that and let's say you want to fix it. And you're sincere about it. Well, you have to know what the Bible says about particular things and then apply that truth to yourself and do what it says. So for example, if you have a suspicious mind, what does 1 Corinthians 13 say? If you're all suspicious, let's take a look. Since we're in 1 Corinthians, turn to chapter 13. I have a suspicious mind. Someone's always trying to do something or get something or I, I suspect people like that. Now, I caution to say, that is not really wrong, but if sometimes they always question someone's motive, uh, 
Well, maybe we should look at what the Bible says and then conform to that. First Corinthians 13, verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and let's skip verse two. Let's come to verse three. Let's skip verse three. Let's look at verse four. I'm suspicious of people's intent and of their motives. It bothers me. I'm just saying that. I, that's not me, but uh, I'm always thinking someone's after something or up to something. Verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity endeth not. Charity vaunteth on itself, is not puffed up. Verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easy to provoke. Thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. Is it possible that we become suspicious and have a very skeptical mind about people's intent? It does say, love thinketh no evil. And in this chapter itself, it has many good scriptures about uh, countering something that is a problem that we need to change. All right, let's skip that one now and go to the next part. Uh, uh, let's see. Proverbs 25. Verse number 28. This is a good verse about a man who has a problem with his temper. I kind of suspect that the ones who have a problem with the temper are the ones who show that they have a problem with the temper. But if you can control your temper, that's a good mark. But uh, if a person has uh, a real temper, he gets mad. Oh, you know, you can, look, let's be real. On the road, you can be really angry on the roads because people just don't drive right on the roads. And people are just not careful and thoughtful. They are actually thoughtless. And uh, I have realized that in the last few months, how people are careless when they drive and they are distracted when they drive. And maybe that's the reason I don't let my wife drive a lot because I don't trust, I, don't, I do trust her, but I don't trust other people around her. And she might get caught off guard because uh, people are just distracted by devices and uh, different things. Well, um, for someone to overcome his temper, just to react to something, Proverbs 25, 20 is a truth that we could apply. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Okay, on that, on that point about controlling your temper, you're trying to change that, then you have to know the truth is, okay, um, you have no rule over your own spirit. That's not a good thing. It's like a sea with the, that's broken down and has no walls. No walls are not a good thing. Ay, ay, ay. Is that a truth for today? No walls are a bad thing. Walls protect cities. Uh, walls protect our country. Fences are good. Barriers are good. But he says here, uh, the truth, he that hath no rule over his own. So you have to rule your spirit. That means you control your spirit. That means you don't let your spirit rule you. Don't say what you feel like saying just because you feel like saying it. Don't do something just because you feel like doing it. In sports, sports teach a lot of good lessons about character. In baseball, players get really upset with the umpire, and umpires themselves get mad at players and the managers, and they just act like they're children. Umpires, if you challenge an umpire in a real baseball game, the manager comes out, that was a bad call. Umpire says, he takes off his mask. He says, is that right? And that's right. And he says, you're out of here. And the sign to do that you're out of here is like this. They do this. The umpire do this. Like, they threw them out. It's funny. 
They threw them out. There's a manager for the Baltimore's many decades ago. His name was uh, Earl Weaver. He's about 5'4", kind of like Granddaddy Randy Camp, but 5'4", and had his shape too. Except this was a baseball manager for a championship baseball team. And when he got upset with the umpire, he would take his baseball cap and turn it backwards and get in the, manager, the umpire's face and do like this. And that's nose to nose, and they don't touch, but it's nose to nose, and he's jawing at them, and the umpire, umpire does this. Earl, one more word, and you're out of here. And Earl just says no, and he says, you're out of here. Oh, Earl, Earl Weaver was a great manager, but he had no control of his temper. He was known for his temper. Men like that. Men respect a guy standing up for what he thinks is right in the baseball context, but in real life, where you do damage to people, you have no control of your temper. You are a dangerous person. So the Bible says, here's the truth. I want to change my temper. I want to be calm. Okay. Have rule over your own spirit. Have rule over your own spirit. And then do it. Whatever it takes, do it. Chew gum. Chew gum. Or count to 5,000 before you act on your emotions. So those are examples of how a person can change uh, something like temper. Or something like always having bad thoughts about somebody else. By the way, I need to also balance that thought about having bad thoughts, uh, suspicious of people. You need to be suspicious about a lot of things in life, and it's not wrong. Uh, this is about personal relationships. This is about uh, a Christian friend, church member, family members, and not always wondering if they're telling the truth or not. Uh, you may have cause to think that this person is a, a bona fide grade A government inspected liar. You may, you may believe that because you see a pattern for that. So I'm not saying disregard that. I'm just saying, normally speaking, uh, take a face by what someone says, but if this calls for suspicion, maybe it's justified. So that's what I'm saying about that. I'm not going extreme either direction. All right, now let's look at another truth. Four, four, fourth truth about how a person can change. This one is uh, honesty. Honesty. Very simple, honesty. For us to have real change, and get real help from the Lord, we must be honest about our own selves. We must be honest. First John 1 9, remember what it says? Let's look at First John 1 9. You may remember what it says, but let's not assume. Let's see what First John 1 9 says. It's a good verse. It's a very good verse. It's a verse for Christians. First John 1 and verse number 9. Honesty is a truth we must practice. Here's what it says. In verse number 8, 1 John 1, 8, and then verse 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It's rare for a person to say, I'm not a sinner. Some people actually think that, though. It's rare, but some individuals say that they have never sinned. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Well, that's a pretty strong statement right there. You're not being truthful with yourself. And the truth is not in us, verse 9. If we confess whose sins if we confess our sins no stop there honesty means you admit that you are wrong confession means you are agreeing with God that you are the guilty one admitting it is to say I am in the wrong yes this controversy is happening because it's my fault a lot of folks don't think that they are at fault when they really are at fault do you remember back in the Garden of Eden and our first parents were having such a pleasant life, perfect conditions, per perfect environment. The earth was flat, everything was good. And 
uh, every apple was a Fuji apple and it was crunchy. Every grape was crunchy. It was refrigerator cool. It was so good their life. And the animals got along with them and no problems. But then of course sin came into the picture and ruined everything. Sin always ruins things. And um, when the Lord came in the garden and uh, he called for Adam and then Adam didn't answer and then he called for him again and then you know how that story went. But uh, Adam, did he admit that he was in the wrong? Was he honest? He said, uh, Lord, uh, the, reason, the reason we're in trouble is because the wife you gave to me. And she said, me? Me? You blaming me? It wasn't me. It was that serpent over there. And so everybody's blame shifting. But when it comes to making real changes, a person has to face up to their problems and their mistakes and their shortcomings and their failures and their faults and all that. If we confess our sins, we must agree with God that we are the ones that fall when we truly are, if we truly are. Sometimes it's someone else's fault. Uh, you know, the saying is it takes two to tangle, and that's very true. It takes two people to get into a real fight. Like in a boxing match, you're going to have to have two men fighting to have a fight. You can't have one guy come in the ring and fight. Who am I fighting? <laughs> Where's my opponent? You have to have two people to fight. And in life, when people are fighting or arguing or not getting along, a person has to do some introspection, some self-evaluation, some looking at his own heart to see if he is the cause of it or she is the cause of it. It could be true. And uh, a wise person who will want to get real help and see real change, he would first look at himself and say, am I the cause of this? Is it what I said? Is it what I didn't do that caused her to, him to, you see? So we can't always be blaming people. And so facing the problem, looking in the mirror. When you look into a mirror, what do you see? Here's my mirror. Here's my mirror. What do I see in the mirror? What do I see in the mirror? What do I see in the mirror? I see myself in the mirror. I say to myself, Mrs. Singh is so fortunate to have me as her husband. You know, today, I uh, had three Japanese writers, and the mother looked like she could be a sister to the two teenage girls. So I said in my English, trying to talk like Japanese, I said, I looked at her and I said, are you three sisters? And the, the mother she did is, oh, thank you, thank you, and the two girls are just, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. So you're not sisters. Oh, no, this is our mother. This is our mother. She, oh. she was so tickled. Now, what you see in the mirror is what you are. You can't deny that you're looking at your image. You can't deny what you see. Now, I didn't shave tonight. I can't deny that because that's what I see. My wife, she says, honey, you didn't shave. She come up to me. She said, honey, you didn't shave. I said, that's okay. I'm look like a man this time. And she said, you don't look good. And uh, what you see is what you get. When you, when you say this, I don't like what I see, so I'm going to take down the mirror. Oh, take, that doesn't change what you really look like, what you really are. You have to say, oh, you know what? I need to shave. I need to shave. I do. Well, that's facing up to what you really are. So if you're responsible for an issue, you need to just be honest about that. And that's how you can change. If you keep denying and blaming someone else, 
you may never really resolve anything. So honesty is a good thing. It's not just the best policy, it is the policy. And so accept the results, the reality, instead of denying it. Um, a lady I took to the Salvation Army from Kaneo uh, Halikipa, and she was so happy. This was a graduation from the program. She's going over to a halfway house at the Salvation Army in Manoa. She was so happy. She looked like Loyal Gardner. Anybody remember Loyal Gardner? Oh, yes. Uh, so she looked just like her. Lays up over here. And she was so proud of what uh, she had accomplished. She went through the program, and now she was going to the next step, which is a halfway house, which is a good step for her. And she's just very talkative, very talkative. And uh, it was a good conversation coming over the, the leak leak to, the, to uh, Mano. And she said, you know, I was so messed up in my head. I was in denial. I so much blamed everybody else for my problems. My drug problem was because they gave me drugs. My drug, she's going on, she's saying, they all, and I, when I, when I sat down and talked to the counselors, she said, I had to come to the realization that I had a problem. I could have said no, but I said yes all the time. She said, because I wanted it. And so she finally realized that she had to admit that she was the one who had the problem. And that was a good day for her. She said, from there on, I became more cooperative. From that day on, I became more ready to listen to the counselors and get the advice. And she said, and I began to pray to God to ask him to help me. She said, I began to face up to myself in the mirror. Whereas before, I was just blaming everybody else. I was blaming the mirror for being dirty or warped or something. I didn't like what I saw, so I blamed the mirror. She said, now I was blaming myself. And I saw that I was the problem. And so honesty, she was honest about everything. She wasn't blame shifting. Number five, the fourth thing to do to get some real change, to get some real help, is exhortation. Exhortation. Let me read the verses to you and write them down, please. Proverbs 1.8. Proverbs 1.8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Uh, the writer of Proverbs is saying, listen to me, listen to me. I want you to listen to me. I, I, I really want you to listen. I beg you to listen to me. Listen to me. And with the exhortation is warning. With the exhortation warning. And so uh, I think I'd like you to come to Proverbs with me because I have listed the verses, but I'd like you to see them with me. Proverbs chap chapter 1. Exhortation. Exhortation. Encouragement. Compelling someone. Urging someone to listen to the truth. Sometimes people are very passive. They say this to express being passive. Well, it's up to you. Well, it's up to you. Up to you. Well, what should I do? And you don't even explain the consequence of You just say, well, it's up to you. Well, if you want to do that, go ahead and do that. Well, tell me what are the consequences. Well, it's up to you. I don't like people to say it's up to you. Now, if they say... Okay, now, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. If you don't do this, here's what's going to happen. Now, if they say, now it's up to you. Okay, now, I understand better. I get a better picture of what's the con what the consequences are. But if you just tell me it's up to you, it doesn't tell me anything. I want to make a better choice by having the information. So here's the information. The exhortation is, listen to me. Now, look at chapter 1 of Proverbs. With the exhortation is warning, warning. This is number six. Exhortation number five. Um, encourage someone, urge someone to do the right thing and so on. But then number six is warning. Proverbs 1 verse number 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, 
consent thou not. If they say, verse 11, if this say come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause, let us swallow them up alive uh, as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Now, this is an invitation to excitement. This is an invitation to fun. This is an invitation to wow. So far, it's very appealing. The guy who is invited to come with this gang does not know some things because the gang doesn't tell them some things. The gang keeps some things away from this invitee. Verse number 14. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one first. Join us. We will share equally. We'll have our band of merry, uh, a band of merry robbers, a band of merry men. Well, let's see. Verse 15. My son, walk not thou in the way of with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. So this is a warning. This is a warning. Truth is warning this young man to not participate in the appealing adventure. Verse 16. For their feet. Now he's going to explain. He didn't just say don't. He says here's why you don't. Verse 16. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Now what, what young man, what young lady would be willing to go and hurt someone else just because? What person would want to hurt someone else just for the excitement to get some money from them? Why would someone do that? Well, he's explaining to this person, don't do it because this is what's going to happen. Look at verse number 26. Drop down to verse 26. If someone gets involved and get in trouble, look at verse 26. I will. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer they shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. This is a warning. This is a warning. The proverb is saying, look, you participate with this group of people. Here's what's going to happen. Warning, information, enlightening, giving, disclosing things that will really happen that the boy doesn't even realize. This is what's going to happen. And if you voluntarily go with them and this happens, like, like I told you, he says, you're going to be real sorry about that. You're going to regret this. But by that time, it's too late. There's a consequence and there is a reaction to your action and something has happened and now only the only thing that can happen now is the penalty and so when your fear cometh destruction comes distress comes like a whirlwind he says verse 27 he says then you ask for help but by then it's too late because you have done something that warrants penalty a punishment you thought about robbing the 7-eleven you said no that's wrong to do but your friends been so appealing to do that and now you join with them and so you planned it all out. There's only two Micronesian ladies working there, and they're just not even 20 years old. They're not going to stop you. So if you go in there and demand, you can get that. Well, police come around the corner. A button is pushed. They arrest you. You're in prison. You're in jail for a night waiting trial. And now you're crying. You're sorry as can be. And you wish you hadn't done it, but you've done it. The only thing you can face now is the consequence of going to a court before a judge. And then you're, you're so... You're so sorry, but you did something that was warranting a penalty and a punishment. And so he's, he's warning the, this young man here, this is what's going to happen. Look at verse number 20, uh, 30, 31, 31. 
Uh, therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. So he says, no matter how uh, appealing it is, he says, as a consequence, young man, don't get involved. So this is a warning. Truth, warnings keep us from doing something wrong. We don't, we don't want to face the consequence. It's a, it's a bad consequence. It lasts a long time. And that fear of consequence of punishment, uh, if that person has any sense, he would take you to the warning and not do that. So it'll change his, change his thinking. It'll change his participate. It'll stop him from getting to deep, deep trouble. And so the promise of excitement turns out to be pain and suffering. And what young person likes to be painful, likes to be hurt, likes to be suffering, likes to be... What young man wants to bring shame to his parents? No, no young man who's decent wants to do that, but he could be tempted, and he could be tempted to try because everything looks so great. But he's warned, and the warning, the warning gives him a change of mind to not participate. Number seven, enlightenment. Number seven, I mentioned enlightenment already, but number seven, enlightenment, verse number 17. He already has explained things, but verse number 17 tells us of this chapter one of Proverbs, surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Verse 18, and they lay wait for their own blood. They look privily for their own lives. Verse 19, so are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. And so, uh, explanation to enlighten the, the young man so that he thinks about it and then he makes up his mind. Hopefully he'll make his mind to not participate because of the, the severe consequences. Uh, if you ever watch Westerns, Westerns teach a lot of good lessons. Black hat, white hat, Lone Ranger, the Lone Ranger. And then Grandma Nancy has a lot of Westerns, different titles, and there's a common theme to them. The common theme is Bad guys do bad things. Bad guys get punished. That's the common theme. Back back in the old days, old westerns, they teach good moral lessons. Don't do this because you get caught by the sheriff. And so they teach good lessons. Uh, so the enlightenment is explaining consequences. And the enlightenment is to hopefully cause the young man to have some sense and think twice before he actually does uh, something wrong before actually commit something wrong. Number eight, repentance. Number eight, this is what gives real change and helps a person to really have help. Repentance, number eight, repentance. Look at verse 23. I get that from the word turn, verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Stop thinking that way. Stop leaning that direction. Don't sneak out of the house. Stop ever thinking that way. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. And so repentance is necessary. That will cause a person to change his ways. Look at verse number 33. <clears throat> but whoso hearkeneth unto me, notice the blessing in the next three words. Whoso hearkeneth unto me, whoso listens to me, whoso takes heed to what I say, shall dwell safely. What are the consequences of someone who does not listen to what wisdom says? They're going to get hung. They're going to get hung. They're going to get punished. But whoso hearken unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Why would you be afraid of a policeman if you're not doing anything wrong? 
I did tell you, I think one time, uh, my wife and I went to uh, Home Depot, we bought something for something, and it's always for something, you buy something for something. And I joked with the self-check, but there's someone there. I said to the self-check person, what if I walked out without paying for this? You know what the person said? I can't stop you. We both were shocked because we actually heard, we can't stop you. You mean to say you won't stop us? No, we, we won't stop you. I can walk through the without paying for this can of paint? Can't stop you. What kind of policy is that? Well, they don't want employees to get hurt. Liability kind of thing, get sued. But she said, uh, the cops, we'll call the cops, they go after you maybe. <laughs> oh boy. Well, uh, repentance means you stop. You, you change your mind. You, you don't do some things that are wrong. Number nine. Number nine. Um, when you're serious about doing right, you can change. Matthew 23, 37. When you're serious about doing the right thing, things can change. You can change. The word serious is the important word for me. When you're serious about something, it means you will likely do that. That is right. Matthew 23, 37. Now here is, I'm in Matthew 14. Here is the Lord himself offering himself to his people, Israel. And here is his passionate appeal to them. Verse number 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. Even though you've done that, even though your forefathers have done that, how often would I have gathered thy children together? I still want you, I still want you, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, what a generous invitation. And then he says, and you would not. So after all the Lord did for them for three years plus, they still rejected him. It's, it's not because he wasn't clear about who he was. It's not because he was vague about what he came for. It wasn't because of that. It was because they'd rather not have him. And one man, one man who's a good Christian apologist says, the reason people reject Christ and reject the Bible is because they don't want someone telling them what to do. And so the Jews do not want someone telling them what to do. And the Lord offered himself. They turned him away. I'm going to say they weren't serious about him. They were more serious about their traditions and their uh, uh, perversion of the law. And so... A person, though, would change if his attitude is, you know, I'm tired of this life that I'm living. I want to change. I've tried different things. It's like the woman went to every doctor in town, lost all of her money because she went broke trying to get medical attention. She couldn't, she got attention, but she got no help until she came to Christ. And so a person who has an attitude, I want to change. I'm serious about this. I would do anything I need to do to change. And so I've tried everything. Now I'm going to try Jesus. I'm going to try Christ. And so... The desire may be uh, to stop being miserable in your life, to change a home situation, to change a personal uh, situation. Uh, it's obvious that their lives are in a low level. It's obvious that they want to be unmiserable, but they don't know how. And uh, as they contemplate what they're going through, and they feel like, I need, I need to change. Where am I gonna turn? I've heard my friend talk about Jesus Christ. I've heard my friend talk about going to church. You know what? I'm gonna try doing that. And when a person is serious about change, 
And when a person is serious about the truth, that's when change can happen. And uh, it is sad to say this, but it is also true, though the Lord can do miracles in people's lives, it is also true that the Lord's miracles can be hindered because of unbelief or because someone is insincere. And so a person can know the truth and not do the truth because that person is not serious. Dr. Oyeno, my PCP, told me about three visits ago, we're talking about diff different things. He always makes time for his patients. And sometimes it makes too much time because we talk about many different things. And uh, after the visit, he says, uh, I asked him, how many patients have you had in your career, in your practice? He says, oh man, so many. I said, how many of them follow your advice? He says, not all of them. I said, well, how do you feel about that as a doctor? He says, probably the same you feel about people as a pastor. <laughs> he said, he's really witty that day. And he says, yeah, you know, uh, he says, I sleep good at night. I says, how is that? He says, because I give my advice as a physician. I tell them what I think they should do. And he says, he says, but they have to do what I say. And if they do what I say, they might get better. If they don't do what I say, he says, that's not on me. It's not on me, it's them. If they are going to be better in health, then they would take the advice. And so I, try, I take from that conversation several months ago, I take from that people who want to change, they can change, but they have to be serious about changing. Mm -hmm. And that's why people are stuck, because they're not serious about changing. Right. How do I change? Well, here's what you should do. Really? That's a good idea. Yeah, I never thought about that. Thank you so much for helping me. Well, I really help you. I just told you what the truth is. You're going to help yourself by doing what you should do. Oh, well, that's where the problem comes in. That's where things fall apart because, oh, because no one can do that for you. Uh, I was talking to a guy today. Uh, he, veteran, six years old, went up to Tripler, couldn't catch the bus or the bus was going to be too late, so he called the Uberman. <laughs> so took him up there. 60-year-old guy. He looked like he was 50. Nice tan, about 6'3". I mean, he was wearing shorts and a, and a t-shirt. You can tell this guy works out. His shoulders, his legs, his calf muscles. He had cane, uh, two, uh, two crutches with him in case, in case he needed. He didn't need it, he said. But the, we're talking, he says, he says, I can do a lot of things now. I hope, I hope somebody hires me for working because I can do a lot of things. I'm healthy, I'm strong, I'm 60, but I'm, I'm in good health. He says, um, there's a reason for me telling this story. What was it? Um, what was my thought before that? I have a I have a point to this. You have to. You have to oh yes, yes. You have to do. You have to do what you're told to do. You have to do what's good for you. Mm -hmm. He says. He says. I walk. I run. Um, uh, I'm out in the sun a lot. He's got a nice tan. <laughs> Look like the. Uh, he's just a real tan guy. But anyway, he says there are some people who are veterans like me. I'm going to see him up a tripper at the Veterans Center. He says, he says, those people, they can't even walk. They have to be, they have to walk on a, a, a stroller. Some people have to put in which he says, and they're younger than me. He says, when I got out of the Army, uh, when I got out of the Navy, he says, I just stayed active. I just walked. I just walked. I just stayed active. I did things. I just stayed active. They know what we're doing, but I just stayed active. He says, but my friends, 